Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. £8.50 a pack. So they're the cheapest. They're right. the straight up cheapest. Um, you know, Marlboro's, Benson's, things like that are, uh, you know, £12, £13 yeah. a pack now. Well, because I've heard in the West End you can be paying up to like £17 crazy. for 20 Well, Australia, I'm sure, is a place you spent a lot of time. And I did a month there a couple of years ago. And cigarette packets there are £30 a pack. Holy shit! That was my time to quit. But me I'm being the idiot that I am, I was like, no, I'll still keep paying £30 so there, there a was, There's a clue there? <laughs> I, I don't know. know. Well, I could be wrong. There. I went there with the intention of giving up. But, you know, you're there. The sun's shining. The beer's flowing. Yep. You're having a nice time. The chicks are looking good. Really Real good. The most beautiful girls in all the world, I think, Australia. They're definitely uh, up there. Scandinavia might give you a run Scandinavia, for Eastern Europe as well. Yes. Uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, they're fucking gorgeous, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't even know if they were hookers or not. But yeah, who cares? it's hard it's like, to tell. Look at that. <laughs> uh, so, Scott, I had a story about you, okay. and I'd like you to share it with me if it's true. All right. Uh, the day of the Reagan assassination attempt. Oh, right. You're in D.C., right? right? And you're playing a show. Put us oh, in the okay, picture well, there, of what no, happened that day. There, it, it, you've got kind of the facts, right? Right, okay. Uh, about, I think it was a year before, we were playing in Washington, D.C., and I did a move on stage that I'd done like a hundred times before. I go up, jump up on the drum riser, fuck around with Brian Downey on drums for a while, turn around, jump off, 
land, and Phil and I go on our, into our little Lizzie move, right? Jump up, fuck around with Brian Downey, jump off, and whack, my kneecap just popped straight off, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm down for the count, right? And sprawling, I'm, I'm looking anything but rock star like, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm actually being dragged off the stage like this, right? With people going, hey, right? hey thanks for the support. <laughs> And and I'm uh, how deep you want me to get on this story? Well, I want to hear about the the surgeon that worked on okay. you and right, oh. talk about right time, right place. Right. Well, so they it turned out that I had just shattered my knee, right? And so they had to take me to the emergency hospital, and it's it's a pretty traumatic thing. So you're aware of everybody around you, all the doctors and all that, right? So the next year, Ronald Reagan gets shot, right? And they take you into the hospital and introduce you to all the doctors and all that that worked on Ronald Reagan, and no shit, those were the same people that worked on my knee, right? So me and old Ron Dog, we got something in common. Only the best, right? Right, man. The best surgeons in the country. And is the knee all right? No. No. So I was supposed they to, get it, to be the best, but... I was supposed to get it operated on when I got home uh, or, or to L.A., and I was getting married the, the week hence, and I thought, no, I, I can't do that. I can't be walking down. Which is crazy because I was walking down the aisle anyway with a cane. So what was the difference? I should have had it done. But. So I've got a bit of a trick knee now. Is that the worst injury you've sustained on stage over the years? Uh, or it is. Been something more severe? It That's it, right? The most embarrassing one <laughs> was uh, when I had the hair down to the belt loops. Uh, it kept getting in the face. So you're throwing your head back and getting the hair out of your face, you know. And unbeknownst to me, one night, Phil was, Phil was standing right behind me, right? I had no idea he was there. Flick the hair up. My hair gets tangled in all his tuning pegs. He doesn't know what's happened. He takes off for the other side of the stage, dragging me and my hair with him, right? <laughs> and that was fucking painful, man. Oh, my God. We're, both of us are trying to get my hair, and he's busting out laughing and... And finally, we got the, the hair unstuck, and it, and it looked like a, 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 my scalp had come off in, in his tuning pegs. <laughs> and, of course, he wouldn't clean it up because he was laughing for the rest of the gig. Yeah, that's it. It's a trinket, isn't it? <laughs> Did you two connect above and beyond the music on a deeply personal, profound level? Oh, I'm not sure what you mean by profound. Um, but was, we, there, was there an instant connection above and beyond just the kind of shared interest in songwriting and music? There and absolutely was. Were you kindred spirits? Yeah, no, we, we were great, great friends, you know, especially uh, out on the road, it's, which we were out there all the time. It was always Phil and Scott, Scott and Phil, Phil and Scott, see you down the bar, let's go to this club, let's do that. Oh, you're getting your ass kicked, I'll jump in there and help you out. Right? Yeah, it was. We were, we were close, we were like... Best friends, you know? So, yeah, we're very close. And another figure in your musical and personal life, obviously, who's been central is Bob, right? Your brother-in-law. Bob Siebenberg. He's the reason that, I, that I'm even here, right? He. Uh, so you guys grew up together in yeah. Glendale, right? Yeah. And you were in bands together as kids? We were. How many? Several? Oh, a couple? No, I'd say like five or six bands. We, we had a system. Right. I'd go on. He would he would get in one band as the drummer, right? And and he would say, you know, I got whoever the leader of that band was, you know, yeah, that guitar player's kind of shit, you know, but I know this guy that's that fit in really well. I, I think I can get him to come over. So then I'd scoot in, take the job, right? 
I'd get in a band and whoever the guy was, you know, the drummer is crap, man. He can't keep the beat. I know a guy that can fill in. In would come Bob, right? And we had this kind of system going. I'll get you a job. You give me a job. We'll stay and work, right? So, Were you at a bit of a loss then, then, when he, you know, marries your sister, moves to London and, and leaves town? Well, did, did you it, feel it, like you'd lost your musical partner? I kind of did. But no, I, I kind of thought I lost my best friend. Yeah. Is what had happened. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know, let's put the music uh, thing aside. You know, he was my absolute best friend. Uh, and now he and my sister, who was also my best friend, now they're gone. They're not even in the country. And so that was a little bit hard to take, a little bit of a drag, you know, I, I have to admit. And I probably got lost. I lost my way a little bit and did some stupid stuff. But uh, Such as, uh, maybe you can tell me whether or not this is true, um, you get busted trying to sell weed to... <laughs> An undercover cop. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's the last person on the list yeah. of people you want to be right. trying to sell weed well, to. Well, what happened there? It was actually hash. Right? Okay. We were on the Colorado River in, uh, I think it was Arizona, for one of those Labor Day weekends. And everybody's pretty whacked out, right? But we all of a sudden realized on the Sunday and we had to get home, we didn't have enough money for gas. So we couldn't get home. We were stuck. You know, what are we going to do, Right. And this guy who I thought in the beginning was our savior because he came up and said, hey, man, do, do any of you guys have anything to get high on? Anything, anything at all? And I went, swing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because we had this little block of hash. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll bust off a piece. Give me like 10 or $15, right? Deal. Bank. Wax up. Gives me the money. And I go to, the, to my other buddy. says, we got our ride home. We got our gas money home, right? So... 3 a.m., he comes back with a couple of his cop buddies, said, right, you're under the arrest for the sales of controlled substances and and threw my ass in jail there and, uh, in, in the little town they had there. And it was a horrible jail because it was a dirt floor, right? right? No air conditioning. It's like 105 degrees. You got bars on the window with no glass. It was, and it, it it was a, a, on a weekend, so they rounded up. And I know this might sound a little racist, but the drunken Indians. Yeah, right? well, you're in the drunk tank, basically. Oh, yeah, 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 the holding tank. Yeah, you know. And the, the crazy part here is, uh, come Monday, the guard would read out everybody's name. Okay, you're you're free to go. Yeah, you're free to go. You're, and then he leaves. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, you didn't mention my name. <clears throat> and he says, "What's your name?" I told him my name. He goes, nope, you're in here on a felony charge for 10 bucks of hash, really? So what were you looking at? What were they trying to do you for? Like Two to five years in the Arizona State Penitentiary, for God's sakes, right? So how'd you, how'd you beat that? Well, I called up my dad, and of course, <laughs> I bet he really, that call. again, <laughs> it was one of those, yeah, I'm afraid again, right? So, and he understood how serious the charge was. So he, my uncle was a lawyer. Uh, they flew down uh, and we had to go to court. And, and here's the crazy bit. The, uh, uh, the judge, as the, this little trial was going on, said, excuse me, I'll tell you what, uh, Gorham Sr. and uh, lawyer, why don't you come back into my chambers here and let's, let's talk a bit here. Right? And what the judge actually said is like, Mr. Gorham, you don't want to see your son in jail. I don't want to see your son in jail. So I'm sure there's some sort of agreement that we can come to here. 
Is that because your uncle's a lawyer? Is it kind of them taking care of their own? He just the judge wanted to get paid off. Right, 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 right. right. I He's think this was a, a regular, buck. a regular scam these guys had going <laughs> yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So and yeah, I, the cops probably in on it too, right? Yeah. Ground level. And I think it was like three thousand bucks, and and that was it. And they they wanted to put me on some sort of stupid interstate probation, which I never did, right? But yeah. I don't think I was ever looking at two to five in the Arizona State for 10 bucks a week. You know, come on. <laughs> so um, Bob obviously goes off to London with your sister. Yep. And he joins Supertramp. And I guess what you were saying a moment ago, he kind of thinks, hey, let's get Scotty let's over here. Got the same old scheme. Right. We, we thought. Operate that in that way. And so we, you go over, right? And you, you think on the flight over there that there's going to be a, a job waiting for you. Possibly. On the other side of the pond, possibly. Like, but, uh, but you're ready to get out of town and you're ready for something new in your life anyway. Absolutely. I'm going to start again, you know, wipe the slate clean. Let's just get something new going, right? But uh, almost the day that I landed, Bobby told me that, he said, well, you know, Roger Hodgson, he's decided he's going to play guitar and keyboard. So that puts pay to that, right? So it was like a little disappointing, but I was like, okay, that, that's fine. But it, but what that did for me, it it pushed me. You Kicked know? your ass, yeah, because so, you're like, I've got to get out there and make it happen. Yeah, to a point where I would go into these pubs where bands were playing, the pub rock circuit, yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. asked the guy, can I get up and jam with you? Which and that's is, kicking off at that time, right? Oh, yeah, the pub rock thing was huge, right? But this was something that I would have never done in Los Angeles, yeah. ever. I would have been too embarrassed to, hey, man, can I get up and jam with you guys? But because I figured nobody knew me, and I was probably going to leave in six months. Nobody's going to know who I was anyway. If I totally fucked it up, nobody was going to remember who I was. So why not? Why not give it a shot, right? And that was a way for me to meet uh, other musicians, right? To maybe, to uh, start my own band. And that's exactly what I did. I started meeting all these different musicians for me getting up and playing with these guys. Almost the same thing. You know, these guys are crap. You want to come with me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Assembling your dream lineup of yeah. people. Fast Bucks, is that the name of the group? Fast Buck, good yeah. for you, yeah. And and that's what I did. We got a, uh, a band going, and I would use the premise, because uh, I knew there was a lot of musicians that didn't have the chance to get up on the stage, right? And I would get over the mic at a certain time of the, of the night and say, listen, I know there's a lot of musicians out there. Uh, we're here every Wednesday. If any of you guys want to get up and play, bring your guitar with you, bring your drumsticks. Bring your vocals with you. Come out uh, and have a jam. And it was one more way to meet more musicians. And that's where I met the the, the guy who turned me on to Thin Lizzy. Right. So that came through a friend of a friend, as it were. That's right, yeah. Um, and the, the audition itself. Did you go in there and audition? Did you do like the physical plug-in play? Oh, yeah. yeah. How, how was that experience? Was it? Very fun? odd. Very I mean, odd. first of all, were you shocked that Phil was black? Oh, I would. Nobody told me. Yeah, I see. Right? Here's the. I didn't know anything about Thin Lizzy. I I'd never heard of this band. Uh, didn't know any of their music at all. And in my defense, uh, I couldn't have because by the time I had gotten to uh, London, their song "Whiskey in the Jar" had been and gone. Yeah. Right. Uh, and they weren't doing great business. Eric Bell quit the band. Uh, so nobody was talking about him anymore. They effectively everybody thought that this thing, Thin Lizzy, was dead and gone. Right? Came and gone. Right? Yeah. Uh, but Phil was not about. He was not. He was not going to let this thing go. Right. We can forge forward and 
steam ahead, right? So uh, their management told me uh, that, okay, well, what they're playing in this, they're practicing or, or holding auditions in this, in Hampstead at this African dinner club. It's called the Yoroko, right? right? Uh, and Phil will meet you there. I'm going, okay, African dinner club, some guy named Phil is going to meet me there. Okay, great, you know. So I wait, make my way up to Hampstead, find the Oroco Club, and I walk in, and right at the end of the corridor, I could see all these African guys. They're all in white trousers and brightly colored flowery shirts, and they're putting plates out and knives and forks, getting ready for the dinner, right? And that's when I heard, uh, are you Scott? And I turned around, and there was this black guy there. So I naturally think, oh, he's with these guys over here. Yeah. This guy's been sent to tell me which way to go to see this, to find out who this Phil guy is in Firth and Lizzie, right? And I said, yeah, I'm just going to go, oh, great, I'm Phil, right, with this Irish accent. And I'm, I'm totally fucked up now. I don't know what's <laughs> happening here, right? Black guy, Irish accent, band called Finn Lizzie I'd never heard of before. Well, okay, th- let's go give this a shot, I guess, right? But... Just in that, like, 30 seconds, I could tell this guy was a really cool guy. He had this thing about him. Big mm-hmm. smile, lots of energy. Uh, wasn't going to let anything dissuade him from doing anything. He was that real energetic kind of guy. Come on in, right? I'll introduce you to the rest of the guys, right? Okay. And we walk in, and I cop a look at the two Bryants, right? And yep. immediately I saw... Oh, God, you know, who's this? Another one coming in, right? Because they'd already gone through 24 different guitar players. I was number 25, right? <laughs> so uh, Phil says, all right, Scott, get your guitar out and let's get out. I'll Brian show you a few chords. Okay, all right. And I open up the lid of my guitar. <laughs> Brian Robertson once again goes, really, man? Really? Because this guitar I had was the cheapest Les Paul Japanese copy you ever saw in your life, right? <laughs> and he thought, oh my God, this guy can't even afford a guitar, decent guitar, right? And now I'm, I'm embarrassed again, you know? Uh, but I, you know, I plug in and Brian is showing me the chords and I'm just barely making the switches, you know? And we do the song and uh, Phil jumps off the stage and I thought, holy, holy shit, he hates me already, this Phil guy, right? Comes back on... Right, let's do another song. Trying to learn this song, right? We do that song, Phil Jones off the stage again. God damn, this guy's, he's not paying attention to what's going on here, but he still has the smile going, still full of energy. So we do this for about four or five songs, and I think I'm doing terrible because this Phil guy keeps jumping off the stage. Uh, So we come to the end of it, I put my guitar away, and... uh, uh, he says, uh, so, uh, and I thought, I'm done. I'm cooked. I'm gonna, and I really love what I'm hearing. Uh, Brian Downey's drums were killer. This kid, he's 18 years old, and he's just flaming the fretboard. It was amazing. And this Phil guy, he's singing great, deep tones on the bass, right? There's great, uh, you know, bass line, or just great lines that all these guys, that these three guys are playing. I really want in this thing. Oh, my God. You know, I've never, I've never been able to play with guys that are, have this much uh, musicianship going for them. 
So I said, yeah, you know, you can have my telephone number. And he, and he <laughs> takes his piece of paper and he goes like that, this tiny little, and I thought, all right, okay. I'll write it down. He's going to go shink and that'll be the end of that, right? So as I'm walking out, the last thing Phil says, so uh, what are you doing tomorrow? And that's when I went, really? Okay, I, I think I got a shot at this, right? And Phil called me that night and he said, we've been listening to the tapes. What tapes? That, that's why he kept jumping off the stage. Right, right, right. He was going back to see if Pete, the, the engineer, was getting everything on tape and if everything was okay, right? They had been listening to the tapes and they all agreed that I was the guy. I was the perfect fit for Thin Lizzy and did I want to join. And oh, hell yeah, I want to join. And that was me in Thin Lizzy. And didn't you literally have something like 30 days left on your visa at this point as well? So if 30, that had to come a month later, it might have... Almost to the day, exactly 30 days. And I was gone. Slipped by. Yeah, I, really, in my mind, I was already taking that first step onto the plane. You know, yeah, I, I came, I gave it a go. Yeah, that was my attitude. At least I gave it a shot. I feel good about myself anyway. Yeah. I've come all the way over. I've given it a good, good shot. Didn't work. What a drag. But there you go. That's life. And then Phil throws me a lifeline, you know. You want to be at Thin Lizzy? Yeah. <laughs> a lot. So that was it. All these years later, I'm sitting talking with you. Amen. <laughs> that first album you did with them, uh, how do you feel about that one now, looking back at Nightlife? That was a really disappointment. Because uh, we had rehearsed for, I don't know, something like every day for three weeks. right? And you know how you sound in rehearsal, right? You, you hear... The guitar tones you're getting at Brian, and I'm hearing how, you know, hard uh, Brian's hit, hitting the snare drums, you know, the crack of the snare. And what we got was these really polite guitar tones, and you know, Brian hitting the middle of the skin of the snare drum. And we were all just, it wasn't just me, the whole band was disappointed. You know, the, uh, the uh, producer kept on it, me and, and Robertson, you know. Can you turn down a little bit? Yeah, just a little more. To the point where there's no sustain on the guitar, yeah, yeah. No, nothing, right? So that was that was disappointing. Was the experience of recording, um, you know, a fun one? Was it a positive experience making the record? And then when you heard it, were you disappointed? Or was the whole thing kind of a bit like frustrating? And it was a little frustrating. And, and what a drag! It was my first time. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I'd been in recording studios, but never a whole album. Mm -hmm. And this is an album that you're going to carry for the rest of your life. That was a first experience for me, right? And to come off with you know feeling the way we did, it, it was it was disappointing. And I knew there were good songs on here. I. We'd been playing them in rehearsals, like I said, for three or four weeks, you know, and you had it in your head, this is what's going to be killer, man. This riff on this, man, we're going to slay the joint with that, and then you come out with that, you know, so. I keep trying to remember his name, the producer. Name and shame. <laughs> uh, no, we don't need to do that, but I, I can't, do you have any notes on that? I don't have the producer's name on there, okay. sadly. Uh, around that time, though, what I do have written down is that you went out on the road with Batman Turner Overdrive. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, and that was just as you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, was, huge was popping. Uh, they were huge. Was that your first like experience of a proper national right? big time fun tour? Right. You know, we were playing these tiny shitty little clubs in England. All of a sudden, now you're playing to stuffed out arenas, right? And we didn't really know how this whole arena thing worked. 
didn't have a clue, right? To the point where I, it was like the very first show. I don't know what city we were in, but we knew it was going to be sold out, right? So we're sitting backstage, and it and it comes to eight o'clock when we're supposed to go on. And Phil says to one of our why don't you go out and see how the audience is looking right now? Yeah, okay. Uh, they're still coming in. Right, right, we'll give it another ten minutes, right? Ten minutes rolls by. Why don't you go out and have a look at that audience again and see how they're doing? Well, it's looking a little better, but you know they're still coming in. Right, we'll give it another ten minutes, right? <laughs> and after like twenty minutes, we're supposed to be on the stage twenty minutes ago. All right, we better we better get out there and see what's up, right? So we get out there, we play. I don't think we went down all that well. There wasn't enough people in there. But the manager of Bachman Turner Overdrive comes in our dressing room and points to our manager and says, can I have a word with you? Sure. They go out in the hallway, and, and I think his name is Rick Allen, something like that. He grabs our manager by the shirt, slams him up against the wall, and says, if you are one minute late... On any of these shows, I'm going to throw you and your boys off of this tour, right? So really, at, at right now we get it. We now we you have to be on. We had no idea yeah, about yeah, unions yeah. or any of that. You know, just wait till the room's full, right? <laughs> right. So what we did, I, I which I thought was pretty cool, right? Uh, why don't we go on 15 minutes early, right? There's not going to be anybody there. But what it's going to do, it's going to get us used to being on the big stage at least. And some people will come in, but at least we'll get the feel of the big stage, right? So uh, I thought that was a really kind of cool idea on our part. We're just going to forego our egos completely just to start learning this whole different arena process and how it actually works. So, I love it. And yeah. he was okay with you going on early. Yeah. No yeah. problem with that. You couldn't do that now. No, because right? yeah, there probably wouldn't be a sound guy waiting in, in the desk ready. Yeah, I mean, the rules... And they tend to get there about two minutes before, don't they? Right. The, the rules were really <laughs> relaxed back then, believe me, right? So that was great that they let us do that, but it really did. It, it got us used to being on the big stage. So, you know, later on in the year when we got probably on another big stage we we already knew we knew what to expect well that Aerosmith tour came a little later right and that was at the time when they I think put out the two best records of their career still Toys mm. in the Attic and Rocks was it around that time that you went out with them you know I don't even remember that really this is how good the times were wow and I had a <laughs> I had an argument with a, a journalist right he said the exact same thing I right, said right. no no we Didn't never happen. toured with uh, Aerosmith he goes yeah, yeah you did and he gave me the dates and all. I'm like, no, man, you're, you're talking about somebody else. We never went out with Aerosmith. Yeah, I'm sorry to beg you. You did. God damn it. I, I, this is, I, I should know what I'm fucking talking about, right? He goes, yeah, but you did go out with him, right? I'm, God, he goes, well, here, look at this. And he pulls out a poster with it all <laughs> on the because he wanted me to sign it, right? I'm, right, right, right. Holy fuck we did that's amazing yeah i don't think it was a tour i think it was a okay. festival that we right, were right 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 so you to, can forgive that yeah come on one, one show <laughs> give me a break were the uh were the drink and the drugs a part of it at this point no 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 it was just you kind of got yourself lubed up a little bit before the show and that was it no there was no we didn't have enough money to buy any of that stuff right, right. so then what happens when you make jailbreak and boys are back in town huge hit how does your life change in the wake of that? Well, success? now you could afford a lot more things. You right. Know? But, you know, the problem is that it was the era of labor government. Okay. Right. 
And we'd been struggling and struggling and struggling. We were in debt. You didn't have any money. And all of a sudden, now this album hits, the single hits. I think we had, we had two hit singles off that album. And now the money starts coming in. It's like, thank God, you know, we can pay for stuff now, right? We can eat. Yeah, you know, <laughs> buy some shoes, whatever, right? And our manager and lawyer said, well, no, you can't because you, you're just over the tax threshold and you, you owe the government 83% of everything you've made. <laughs> so now it's gone again. <laughs> could, could not believe it. I've never forgiven the labor government for that. I mean, you spend your whole life fighting for something and then you get it. And then it's taken and it's away. Gone. Yeah. Un- unbelievable, you know. That's wild. Is so it- you were kind of back to square one again until, you know, later on in the year, and then more residuals came in, and you, know, you were kind of okay. But it, that, I just, I, I remember the manager going, you, so you want me to write the check for you? I went, hell no, man. I'm going to write this check because I want to remember this. Yeah. <laughs> Savor it. <laughs> um, is it safe to say that that album kind of saved Thin Lizzy, really? No, like, it absolutely, not kind yeah. of, it absolutely did. Yeah. Absolutely. Was the label pretty much ready to, to say yep. thank you and good night? Uh, well, we were. That was our third album, and at this point, like, everybody was given like three albums. Yeah. Okay, the first one you're going to learn how to work together. The second one you're going to learn how to write better songs together. But on the third one, that's when we expect you to, to produce the gem and the big hit single, and every life will be beautiful, right? So we're on our third album, and everybody is going. You got to do it, man. You, or it's the end. That's pretty much what they're saying. Uh, from management to record companies to probably even fans were saying this. You, you got to do it, right? So no pressure there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Does someone like Phil respond well to pressure? Was he someone he, that? No, he was always good was stimulated and yeah, it was always inspired me that was, by it was that. always me that was falling apart. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phil, yeah. we're gonna get killed. <laughs> I read a great story that on the first ever US TV appearance that you guys did, um, Brian had a beard, right? Oh, right. And Phil was like, either you shave that beard off or you don't appear on the show. Yeah, or you're um, out. And he was, no, he was, he, he was that kind of, of tonal vision band leader, was he? Like firm yeah. but fair, but very just so with certain. Yeah, Phil had this uh, uh, almost, he, he wanted everybody to appeal to the the you know the righteous rock fans but he also wanted to appeal to the pop fans also yeah. right and if you had a beard or facial hair at all that's that's like a no-go right and at that point i didn't want any you know mustache or beards and all that but uh, brian we had something like a a two-week break at some point he came back and he had a beard the first thing phil says you got to shave that thing off and brian's go shave the fucking beard yeah you are and a huge fucking ar- argument ensued over a beard, for God's sakes. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is great. I've quit my band. I've, <laughs> uh, you know, I, and now the band's going to break up over a fucking beard. Unbelievable, right? Fine, you know, Br- Brian smartly, all right, I'll shave the beard. But this is after much arguing. And I just couldn't believe we were arguing over a fucking beard, right? Christ. <laughs> That's a, I hadn't even thought about that in years, man. <laughs> Good digging. Was he, though, like quite a generous and supportive teammate in the sense that he would want to draw out the songwriters and the rest of the guys and not have just him being the guy that, you know, produced 
material to record. Absolutely. He encouraged everybody to, whatever you got, bring it to the table. Slap it down on the table and we'll use it, right? Uh, his whole thing is, it, it, this it, this isn't uh, Phil Lynott and Thin Lizzy. This is Thin Lizzy, yeah. right? If I wanted a solo career, I would put my name in front of it, right? So everybody needs to contribute to this thing. So he was way, way open to uh, ideas coming. In fact, the... Uh, First song that he and I ever wrote together was a song called She Knows, right? And I was just kind of banging out this, uh, like, Cordy riff thing that I had. And he looked at me, he said, is that yours? Well, yeah. He said, you got any more? And I said, yeah. And then it goes to here and goes to that. He goes, man, I, I think I got a lyric to that, right? And I thought, cool, this is great, right? And it turned out to be it was the first song he and I ever wrote together and it was the first track on side A. So I felt great about that. My first album, first track, and the first thing I'd done with Phil. And that's the kind of thing that- I'd still like that song today. He'd have been aware of how much that meant to you. And so to do something like that, I think is quite a cool move. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about it in that, but I guess so, yeah, you know. He knew how green I was and probably what this meant to me, yeah. I don't know if he thought about it. Yeah, we'll make it first track. I think that's just because the uh, it just lined up really nice that way. But thought it was cool. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How did you find the bad reputation recordings once the responsibility of the guitar work was kind of landed solely on your shoulders? Yeah, that was kind of weird. Did you rise to that challenge? Did you enjoy yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Both... Uh... Well, all of us, we worked really hard on that album and like rehearsing it and, and writing for it. So it's not like we just walk in. We worked really hard for that, right? Yeah, I had to come up with uh, all of the lines, all the harmony stuff. Uh, <clears throat> I did quite a bit of writing on that album. Was that another and, like make or break album as well? Well, 
No, but you never want to break. Yeah. In anything you do in music, you you want to keep forging forward. You want to make. Right? Yeah. And Tony Visconti was very good in that studio. You know, he knew that uh, at this point I had never done a trio before. You know, there was always another guy there, and you teamed up and you split. You know, the duties fifty fifty, right? Well, now it's a hundred percent on me, and he knew that. He he knew that this was not going to be, you know, I wasn't going to grease it completely, and you know, pats on the back, and this is going to be good, and that, that sounds great. And he was very, sorry, very encouraging. You know, got your uh, uh, ego up a little bit and confidence and all that. So you know, I really thanked you know Tony for for doing that. You know, but in the end, I kept. Saying to Phil, I said, you know, when we finish this album, uh, it's not going to be a three-piece. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. too many guitar harmonies on this. We, we got to get another guy in here, you know, if not for the road. Well, it, you know, especially for the road. And I said, really, Phil, it, 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 this is Brian's gig. We should get him back. And he was absolutely adamant that Brian was not going to come back. Is that because of what he'd done to his hand? Yeah, Part and the it. irresponsibility of it all. Uh you know, the night before a big, huge tour and all that, he goes out and gets his hand smashed up. In a bar fight, right? Yeah, in the speakeasy, you know. Yeah. Just kind of never forgave him for that. And uh, But I got him in the band after that again. And then he fucked up again. Uh, then you're out. So now we're doing bad reputation. I'm trying to talk Phil into, come on, dude, let's... Bygones be bygones. Yeah. Come on, let's... You know, this is a bad... This is a business, Okay. So he goes, okay, I tell you what, this is your fault, not if, but when he fucks up, you remember, it, this is your fault, right? Okay, yeah, I'm good with that. And he fucks up again. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I said, I'll Brian, I... myself into a corner here. Yeah, I said, Brian, I, I, I got to agree with Phil, man, you too many times, you know. So, but I tried, you know, to get him back in. Obviously, at that time, punk was kicking off. And, you know, a lot of the older bands, I think, were shit's worried scared. that they're no, going yeah. to be seemingly irrelevant overnight. Mm. And I think you guys, Mott the Hoople, were another one. There was a couple of bands that I think the punk kids looked up to, right, and saw as being slightly outside of the mainstream, the, the mainstream and yeah, the box yeah. and yeah, we doing embraced things on it. your own terms. And yeah, we were had... you guys, in turn, a bit inspired by what they were doing as well? And... Well, you know, we, what, we, what we really liked about the, the whole punk movement was the attitude. Yeah. You know, well, take nothing, no prisoners. There's nothing more punk rock than being a black Irish rock and roll guy, is there? Right, like? right. You've been up, your, your back's been up against the wall your whole life, right? He, he knew adversity, right? But it was the, it was the sheer... Uh, uh, energy that the, even if they couldn't play, it was the the balls and the energy that, that a lot of these guys had. They were talking, they were singing and talking, writing songs about you know the anti-establishment, having establishment, the, the government's fucked up, they're treating us bad, you know, fuck you to everybody, and didn't care who heard, right? And we liked that. We thought that was really cool, right? Even though we wouldn't do that ourselves. Yeah, we were kind of living vicariously <laughs> through the punk guys, right? And I think they knew that, right? But uh, what came out of that for us was uh, that the band, The Greedy Bastards. Yes, right? which is Steve Jones, Paul Cook, yeah, uh, Bob Geldof, Bob time Geldof, to time, yeah. Uh, I think Gary was on on one of them. Uh, Chris Spedding, I think, was was one of the guys. And the whole idea behind that is is trying to meld, you know, the hard rock thing with the punk ideas, right? 
So you you would learn uh, three Boomtown Rat songs. You you learn three uh, Sex Pistols songs. You learn three Chris Bedding songs. Everybody got three songs out of it. And then of course they had to learn three of your songs. Right? So everybody got to experience the other side, right? Which I thought was cool, right? You're not just playing in your own bubble. Oh, okay, that's what it feels like to play one of your songs, right? So it's a pretty cool experience, right? You never get anything like that anymore, do you? That kind of cross-pollination of bands from different areas of the music community. Like, well, I haven't heard of it, and, and what a drag. I know. I'm, I'm sure that, well, you know, you've got the rap guys coming in with the, with the rock guys. That, that has happened. Yes. And that's always pretty cool. But I think there should be more of that. You know, so you can see what these guys are going through and they can see what you're going through, you know. So it was a good idea. At, at the time, it was revolutionary. Nobody had even heard that anybody loved, that anything like this was ever going to happen. And yeah. There I was right in front of them. I think we did three shows, three or four, something like that, and that was it. So it was a lot of fun. That's a good time. I've been given the sign, which yeah. is devastating because there's so much more I want to talk to you about. Oh. We're gonna to have to do this again sometime. Yeah, we will. Down for it. No, um, let's just fast track through like 25 years, <laughs> like nothing's happened. Black Star Riders, um, right? <laughs> so, how did you know Ricky was the guy? Uh, I uh, had experienced Ricky in say like the professional uh, manner. Uh, Joe Elliott called me up one day. He says, I got this guy in my studio here that I'm producing. Um, would you come by? There's a track here that your guitar would fit perfectly onto. Would you come over and play on this track? I said, yeah, who is it? And he says, it's a guy named Ricky Warwick. Now, I had met Ricky a couple of years before, and I really liked him, right? I didn't know why, but I just thought he was a really cool guy. And I thought, yeah, you know, I don't usually do sessions and all that, but... Uh, so but I, it was a rare thing for you to do. Was it, it? it was, you know, it must have been destiny and in action. <laughs> it probably was, you know. But I, I'll do it for friends or people I really like. But I, I don't, I don't put myself out there. So I fly over and I, I kind of meet Ricky properly for the first time in a working environment, right? And I saw what this what this guy was all about, you know, you know, really well built, good looking guy. Uh, I'm starting to listen to what he's he's doing lyric-wise. I thought, holy crap, this guy really reminds me of somebody here, right? Uh, the timbre in his voice was really was really cool. Uh, so when I was thinking of possibly putting the Thin Lizzy thing back together, that was going to be the hardest spot to fill. Was that guy sitting right in the middle of the stage in the spotlight? Yeah. Who the fuck? Who's going to be brave enough to do that, right? And once again, Joe Elliott comes to my rescue and remember that guy. <clears throat> I was like, oh, hell yeah, Rick, Ricky Warwick, right? So right there, that was the hardest part of my job done and dusted, right? And I took a, a before we went out and actually did anything, I took a bit of flack for that. Well, I guess a lot of people maybe hadn't heard his solo stuff, right? So they're they like, had, here's this punk metal. Yeah, they're all thinking shit. Almighty yeah, yeah, and yeah. New Model Army and all that. I, and I would say to people, yeah, but you haven't actually seen what I've seen up close and personal. you got to wait for it. At least come and see it. And if you hate it, then fine. Then I'm good with that. But you got to come with an open mind on this. And 
that's pretty much what happened. You know, people came as a curiosity. Uh, yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. Let's see how this is going to work. We either arms folded, like go on then. Yeah, it, and then as the night unfolds, they're loosening up, yeah. and by the end, they're well. It's right going to it right? happen. There was going to be you no know, either. It's going to crash and burn, or there, or you're really going to love it. Yeah, there was going to be no in between there, right? So unfortunately, people you know fell in love with the idea, fell in love with Ricky, and and, and it all worked out. So. And what amazes me is that in six years, you've done four records. Yeah. Like, that's more than bands half your age in terms of productivity and creativity and Mm. prolificness. Strange, that isn't it? Yeah. I I think the the reason for that is uh, we just love writing songs. Yeah. You know, it it comes uh, really pretty easy, you know. And Ricky, for God's sake, God love him. Uh, lyrically, he probably has the next two albums already written, right? I call him... The, and two solo albums and whatever else. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> he, he does the thing with uh, the Duran Duran, Andy uh, Taylor for the uh, new Power Station album. Uh, album. I think he's written half of that. So I call him the, the lyric ATM machine. You know, <laughs> stick your card in and get some lyrics. <laughs> and do you return the favor with riffs? It's like a nice Ab- trade-off. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because he's always giving you this really cool vehicle yeah. to be able to do that with. You know, you feel safe. You'll lay a bed down. You go, I think I got a great riff for this. What do you think of that? Right. And, that, and that's when the whole writing process really clicks. You know, so it's great to find a partner that you trust yeah, and yeah. know that's going to do the business uh, and you feel safe out there and everything's going to be cool every time you walk out there. So you can't get any better than that. And much like Lizzie, you've obviously had this, you know, quite high revolving door of musicians. Does it almost feel like in the same way that, you know, Lizzie was perhaps you and Phil, this is, you know, this is you and Ricky. And does it, do you yeah. feel like you found a new yeah, yeah. musical soulmate? Uh, with, with uh, Ricky. Oh, well, God, absolutely. Absolutely. But that revolving door on the right hand side keeps happening, you know. <laughs> uh, but I think we've now with uh, with uh, Christian Martucci. Yep. Uh, really cool guy. Great player. Great fucking attitude. Uh, he's a songster himself. He loves writing songs. He loves working all the time. So I think we've we found another guy that's going to be pretty damn permanent in there. Nice. Yeah. Well, good luck with the tour. Um, not that you need it. Obviously, it's kind of... We all need luck. <laughs> it's a guarantee that it's going to go well. And uh, yeah, if you've got any time on the road and you fancy a little chat one day, Let's do it. get into some more stuff. Let's do it. Have you got a book out? Have I do. Done, you've done a book? What's the I book do. called? Well, believe it or not, it's called The Boys Are Back in Town. And I, I fought against that like you wouldn't believe, but the publishers were out of it. I wanted to call it Bad Reputation. Yeah. That would make more sense, right? It would be more apt. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and, and I presume all the stories are in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm At gonna least re- most of them. I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to pull you up on a couple the next time we meet, and hopefully we can explore some rock deal. and roll anecdotes. No, Scott, it, thank it, you so much. Good. You're a gentleman, mate. Thank you, man. Thanks for your time. It's been great.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.